it's not about the compensation per se as much as it is what I feel internally as, hey, I'm doing a good job. Hey, I'm recognized as a leader. Hello, and welcome to the Talking Leaders podcast. This is season two, conversations about promotion. motivations for seeking promotion. Jeffrey Skolnick is a physician and a senior vice president in the pharmaceutical industry, specialising in oncology. Now, Jeffrey's career has advanced to the point where he could quite probably leverage his experience and expertise to significantly enhance his income and his overall benefits. But in my conversation with Jeffrey, one thing that came through is that while he does expect to be properly compensated for what he does, there are other things that drive his interest in promotion. And that's what this episode focuses on. Starting with the question, what does the term promotion mean to Jeffrey? For me, promotion is a bit of a dichotomous entity. There's a piece that is inward facing and there's a piece that's outward facing. The outward facing is pretty obvious. It's a new business card with a new title or it's a new office potentially with your name on the door, or an office for the first time at all. It's an office with a window instead of an office that doesn't have a window. It's an office that has a window that faces a tree instead of the parking lot. Inwardly, though, you know, those things are, or should be, relatively meaningless, and yet you know, they're not, because there's this component of validation. You know, I think we all take pride in what we do, and like it or not, Many of us identify with our careers. Certainly for me, that's absolutely the case. You know, it's part of who I am as a person. And so for someone to come to me and say, you've done such a good job that we're going to increase your standing in your role and title, at least by name, you know, that's a pretty profound statement if especially I'm identifying with that role as part of who I am. You know, I think at its core, promotion is a simple advancement of, you know, role, job, definition. But for me, there's much more of a, someone is telling me that what I've done deserves both recognition and applause, and I deserve that recognition for what it is that I've done. Do you remember the first time you were promoted? I I do remember the first time I was promoted. Uh, You know, thinking back, and, and I would say that my background started in academic medicine. And, you know, over the last 10 to 12 years, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry. You know, and interestingly, promotion in the academic space, although outwardly seeming different, probably isn't that different than it is in the corporate space. Although arguably, promotion in the academic space is never a given. And so when I was in the academic space, I was never promoted because I wasn't there long enough. It was unlikely to happen, et cetera. And that was completely fine. Once I joined corporate America in the pharmaceutical space, it was a given that I was going to be promoted. The only question was when. And I do remember my first role in, in, in pharmaceutical medicine, having come on as an associate director 
And, you know, what we described before was very real. You know, I was a, I'm a physician. And so I, I knew that as a physician, there was this sort of element of coming in at a different level, but it was still an entry level. I knew that because my office didn't have a window. It was a very small office and it faced out and, you know, other people could see trees and other people could see the sky and all I could see was a tan wall. And I loved it. It was the most exciting thing of my life until someone said to me, you can have a new office because you've been promoted. And when you're promoted from associate director to director, you get an office with a window. And I said, is that the rule? And they said, yes, you must have a window. You must have a window because you have a new title. You have a new business card. You know, you, you, you have new responsibilities. And I just thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, now I can look out. And, and so there's this visible reminder that I've advanced and I turn around and, and, and there's this window there. And I said, well, you know, that wasn't there yesterday. I must be in a different role. I must be. And that reminds me I'm more responsible for something. Now, is all of that true? I have no idea. Right? Did it really change from Wednesday to Thursday? Was I suddenly responsible for that much more? I don't know. But the window was nice. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm guessing from what you're saying that you didn't, you know, actively seek it out, that, that promotion. It, it, it was a case of you, you did a good job, the cogs turned, it was time to promote Jeffrey. That's right. That's right. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who often, um, when I've been promoted, I, my first question is, why? You know, what have I done to deserve this? Usually the response is, okay, then, you know, if you don't want it, that's fine. But no, 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 please, I'll take it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I certainly don't recognize if there is something I've done. But absolutely, I think there, there was or is this expectation that over time, if you do your job, you'll be promoted. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure I love that. I'm not sure that just simply existing and performing qualifies as promotion worthy. You know, if you're a student in grade school, you clearly have to perform to get to the next grade and meet expectations. But, you know, that's in a learning environment where you're a student, where there's a minimum proficiency required and you automatically move on. I'm not sure that corporate should work the same way. I'm not sure that promotion should work the same way. If you show up and do your job and pass, that qualifies over time for a promotion simply because, simply by being. Sort of thinking about the, the definition of the word, right? Promotion is arguably about moving forward, right? Going from one space to the next and, and either physically moving, or sort of, you know, theoretically moving. But it should be more than just in time. It should be in, in learning and more importantly, in delivering. You should be delivering more. To me, promotions are about you've delivered more than was expected. The role you deliver to is not as it's described for you, and therefore you deserve to be promoted. Interaction. I think even more importantly, though, for me, honestly, is what I feel inside. You know, this concept that I am promoted when I deserve it, and I feel comfortable in that space. If I've been promoted where I feel I didn't deserve it, it feels like you're a bit of an imposter. You know, you're, you're in a space that you don't belong. 
And now you're being recognized as a leader, you're being recognized in this named role that you don't feel you deserve, and yet someone does. And so now you struggle between, you know, do I belong here? Am I meant to deliver to this role? Am I qualified to do this role? I think for me, the satisfaction promotion comes when personally I sink my internal, yes, I deserve this and I'm ready and I'm excited with the external validation of, and here it is, here's your promotion and your new title. Has that happened to you much then that you've been promoted and felt you didn't deserve it? No. Some of it is semantics, right? Some of it is what do you call the role? And when we say don't deserve it, I have been in roles where the title hasn't necessarily matched the responsibilities, right? And that goes both ways. Can you give an example? You know, there were, so there are times where, for example, vice president means a considerable amount to most people. You should be a strategic lead. You should be slightly tactical. And you really should be, as it were, the, the identifiable head of the organization as it relates to whatever that function is. And I can recall an example of certainly as I entered into um, a particular job and I entered in as a vice president, it was very clear to me that I was not meant to come up with strategy nor necessarily deliver to my own strategy. I was really meant to do the exact same role I've been doing since I was an associate director in the pharmaceutical space. Was it more that the role didn't deserve the title then rather than you didn't deserve the role? Co correct. And well, yeah, although having not been tested, you know, I did scratch my head entering into the role saying, why would they want me for a vice president title? You know, had they just called the director, senior director, would I have been as interested in it? Well, you know, my ego might say not necessarily, but certainly internally, I would have been very comfortable with that because I'm familiar with and can deliver. So I questioned whether or not I was going to be able to deliver to that title of the role. Of course, when I got there and it wasn't entirely what I thought it would be, it's strange because comfortable in the role, but yet uncomfortable with the title. Okay. Well, looking at it from the other way around, have you ever taken on a role and found yourself on a, a surprisingly steep learning curve? I think it happened to me, honestly, when I, at, at, at one point in my career, I stepped into the medical affairs role outside of clinical development because I really wanted to learn all of pharmaceutical development for the physician. And it wasn't clinical development. It was very, very different. Succeeding in that role for me was certainly a challenge. You know, promotion in that role was not on the horizon. And that was uncomfortable because you have been asked to lead a team, and yet learning curve is extremely steep. The knowledge base is not something you come in knowing. And there are others around you who excel at it. And you think, well, I have the same title as these people. We're all on the same level. And yet, boy, they know what they're doing. I'd better pay attention. So how did it work out? Well, uh, you know, it was uh, interesting. So in that particular case, unfortunately, the machinations of the business world churned. And that particular group at that particular company over time no longer existed. But I think even if it had continued to exist, I knew that I wasn't comfortable in that space and I would have made a transition. I ended up leaving that role after less than a year, uh, less time than I would have liked. But 
the truth was that it wasn't something I was awesome at. And so, you know, to get to that next level meant I was definitely going to be uncomfortable. I was definitely going to be, you know, on that steep part of the learning curve for, for a longer period of time. And I wasn't as passionate about it as I should have been. And so getting that promotion would have been even harder for me. Getting to that next step would have been even harder for me. And thankfully, to some extent, I didn't have to make the decision. It was made for me. And so I was able to pursue something new uh, back in a space where I was much more comfortable. Let's, um, if we could, uh, talk about promotion to the sort of higher levels, if you like, the so-called C-suite, and maybe focus on the the CMO role, chief medical officer, because I know that's something that you're you're interested in. Um, and certainly, you've the work you've done, uh, you've been involved in in many situations which concern the kind of issues that CMOs deliberate on. So uh, there's every reason to believe you could you could do the role. The thing about those kind of roles, though, the sort of C-suite roles, is you know, one of the things that marks them out is the level of responsibility and, and accountability that comes with them. Um, I mean, this is the place where the book really is supposed to stop. Uh, as some people like to put it, these are the people that go to jail if things go wrong. I mean, what is it about those level of positions that is so attractive and makes that greater level of accountability worth taking on? And in the environment in which I grew up in the States, you're semi-autonomous as a resident, but you have a fellow your next level of training. And then as you're a subspecialty fellow, you're even more autonomous, but you always have your staff or attending physician. But the attending physician, they don't have anybody standing next to her or him who is going to ever overrule their medical decision. The buck stops with them. And you become very comfortable with the discomfort of making those decisions, knowing that what you say is going to be the case. I, I think that type of discomfort, although you know, it's not necessarily where you want to spend all of your time, it's also somewhat validating and also allows you to do that much better of a job, make better decisions, right? Because you, you, you shouldn't be imminently happy 100% of the time having said, yes, I'm not going to rethink that. We're never going to touch that again. And again, I'm lucky enough now to be working for an organization where even at the highest levels, there's a tremendous amount of input requested. And so there's a, there's a collaborative effort where, you know, from, a, from either strategy or, or tactics, I can offer something that can be debated by the folks in charge. And if I were that chief, similarly, I would be very comfortable at this point taking responsibility for saying, yeah, this is the way it's going to be. But if you make a decision that you've come to based upon all of the evidence and someone simply because of title says, no, I completely disagree, or I don't disagree, but we're going to do it this way anyway, that's pretty frustrating. Not to have that would be quite lovely. Okay. So it, it yeah, obviously definitely puts you much more in the driving seat, but what is it that that greater autonomy then gives you that's so exciting? It's, it's satisfying. It's, you know, you, you, you come to work and you make decisions that have impact and you can see those impacts. You know, this, this, this past couple of weeks, I've been lucky enough to be leading projects at my company, programs at my company where 
we've been able to put out a couple of good pieces of news. And I have to admit that it thrills me that I've been included in those press releases. You know, it feels good to be in the press release. It feels good that outwardly, again, I can be recognized for being part of this team. The exciting part of that is that someone says, yeah, you're important enough to be part of the company's story. So, you know, no, it's not about the compensation per se as much as it is what I feel internally as, hey, I'm doing a good job. Hey, I'm recognized as a leader. Hey, the company and the group feels as if I moved this in the right direction. Right. So is it, it's more to do with personal fulfillment and, I mean, looking at Maslow at the highest level, self-actualization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you, you, you know, you're, again, you're lucky if you do something that arguably makes a difference. And if I see these efforts move forward, it's very fulfilling. Looking back over your career then and drawing upon your experiences, what advice would you give to people who are wanting to develop their own career and, and how they can go about getting the promotion that they really want? So number one is don't go too fast. You know, don't, don't, don't spend the time sort of looking at the top of the hill instead of looking at what you could master in front of you. First of all, you'll be rewarded for doing your job extremely well now. And if you jump too quickly, when you get to the top of the hill, someone will figure out you haven't learned what you were supposed to learn at the two, three, four, five steps to get there. And there's nothing wrong with taking the time to be good at those entry-level positions, early starter roles. Now, the best people I've seen in my industry have been those that excel in those earliest roles. You can look at them and say, that person is a superstar. That person is going to be great. I find I say that much more often than I would to the people who are in those roles, those higher roles, and say, oh, that person's a superstar. No, the superstars are the young people who have the opportunity and potential to get to those places. I think in other pieces, there's zero reason to ever pretend that you know something that you don't. There's nothing worse than, you know, I can do that when you really can't. I'm relatively infamous for sharing with people when I do not know what the answer is. And I have found that to be rewarding externally and internally. People appreciate it when you say, I don't know the answer to that question. And as you move ahead in your career, if you pretend to know, once again, you know, it, it's extremely hard to deliver to the quality that people will expect. So embrace what you don't know. If it interests you, learn it. I think maybe the last thing I would say is find the passion. You can excel if you don't love it to a point. But at some point, you will wake up and look in the mirror and say, well, I have the cars in the garage, and I have a very lovely house and three boats and two homes. I don't have those things. But boy, I really don't like what I'm doing. And boy, I don't know how I got here. I would never want to be that way. I'd never want to be that person. I promised myself two things. I would never have a nine to five job and I would never look out 
at the at the window, proverbial window or mirror, and say, "My gosh, how did I get here?" And I'm lucky. I, I neither of those things were true. I was able to sort of combat both of those. Many thanks to Jeffrey for talking with me. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. So, honestly, what motivates you most? Self-fulfillment or building up your bank balance? Are they equally reasonable drivers or is one more worthy than the other? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm Paul Gisby from Talking Leaders. We work with leaders who want to be heard, understood and to build trust. Goodbye.